So Kaylee, if you could have any superpower in the whole wide world, what would be your superpower? Technically, I don't know if this counts as a superpower because I've adopted it from She Who Must Not Be Named's literature, but I would say the power to disappear and immediately appear somewhere else. You know what, that'd be so good. It would uh, eliminate jet lag. Yeah. And, um, and it would make travel so much less expensive than it is. Yeah, and I could definitely stay in bed a lot longer than I normally do. And also when I tell people, I'm on my way and I'm lying, it wouldn't matter because I could just pop there. They'd never know. But you know what? There's a big downside to that. And that is you will put all air stewards and stewardesses out of, out of a job. No, not... No, because other people will be travelling by plane. This is my personal... Oh, it's you, I see. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell anyone I can do it. And they'll just be like, how does she do it? That'll be the... I guess if everyone can do it, it's not a superpower, is it? Yeah, it'll be like, just boringness. Then I'd have to get something else. Like, oh, I can speak every language in the world. What would yours be? I would, did you ever watch the show Bernard's Watch when you were younger? Yes. You know, he has a little stopwatch that stops, that freezes time. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to do that whenever I want. Because have you ever like, like whenever you wake up and you're just really tired and you've got to get up and go to work, you can just turn over, turn off your alarm, turn on your stopwatch and just sleep in for a little bit. And then when you stop to start it again, it's still the same time it was when you froze time. I think that'd be really useful. Would you still age in that time? Like if you kept using the clock, would you end up really old compared to everyone around you? Uh, oh God, we're going into proper Stephen King territory now aren't we um, <laughs> no I would say I don't age but I can move around but I can maybe move things so I could just like move a person from one end of the street to the other and really screw up their mind or save their life if you were a good superhero but I like that you've got a and in the show Bernard's Watch he was always good with it he even like if there was one episode where he had to go um buy some paint to paint a room in like a second and I don't I don't really I can't really remember why it was the kids tv show but he goes to the paint shop he gets the paint and he puts the money on the counter and leaves a note and even at the age of seven I was like Bernard mate just take it just steal the thing like no one's gonna know <laughs> who would ever know because I'm assuming all security cameras and stuff stop working in that pause of time they'll just yeah nothing would happen it would if you looked at the recording then that that pot of blue paint just disappears from the shelf i like the fact that both of our superhero powers basically are chosen to give us extra time in bed in the mornings yeah it's practicality that's what it is in this fast-paced technology oriented modern world (laughs) these are the sort of superpowers that you need yeah we don't need to save lives Hello, and welcome to The Marvel Virgin, a podcast all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is Paul, and I'm a Marvel Virgin. And my name is Kaylee, and I'm a Marvel whore. For each episode, Paul is watching a Marvel movie or TV series for the very first time, and with my help, we'll be delving into the good and not-so-good aspects of the MCU, and navigating the secrets and intricacies of this big and complex universe. If you'd like to send in any questions, comments, factoids, or even if you'd like to correct anything we've said, after all, we're not perfect, then you can tweet us at the Marvel Virgin. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the show. So this is our first episode for this podcast. And as such, we're going to be addressing the very, very first MCU film, which is... 
Dun, dun, dun. Iron Man. Iron Man. I mean, for people who haven't seen Iron Man, there may be some other Marvel versions out there. It was released back in 2008. It doesn't seem that long. 2008 sounds recent. Um, it was a pretty big deal at the time. It actually was one of the biggest box office movies. And it had, which is quite surprising, a very, very positive response from critics. People were like, oh, it's, you know, a deft intelligence, an infectious sense of fun, vibrant charm, turbochargers, the superhero genre. Mm. Um, it's interesting that they're calling it, that they're so enthused about it. But I think if it, if it was released now, it would be considered quite unoriginal. Yeah, probably. I mean, if you think about it at the time, we really only had DC movies mm. in terms of superhero. And they were very... Um, I don't want to get into DC because obviously we're doing Marvel, but I, I find them all very, they take themselves very seriously. Whereas I think Iron Man was a lot more fun. It played with the genre. And I think maybe that's why people liked it so much. So far they'd had the X-Men movies and the mm. Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire in. And those were fun. The X-Men was a bit more serious, but then it addressed social issues, didn't it? So yeah. I guess I can see where this would be a slight turning point in terms of structure and tone and in like putting in more complex characters and things like that. Yeah, and I guess in a weird way, Iron Man is Marvel Universe's Batman. So it is kind of a good place to start. They're both billionaire playboys. They both That's think true. of their toys, you know? I don't know who, if we put them up against each other. Iron Man, I think, would win. His suit is for sure better, but... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be involved in the Marvel DC business meeting trying to negotiate that crossover movie. I feel like there'll be scratches and punches there between the yeah. two rivals. For sure, yeah. But it would be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Batman earns more money than Iron Man, but in terms of everything else. Tweet at us, who earns more money, Batman or Iron Man? We'd like to know. And also, who's the better playboy, really? Because, I mean... I don't really see much evidence of Batman's playboying in films. Well, that's it. I mean, Iron Man, Tony Stark is sexier than, yeah. uh, well, more, more sexual. I'd say. Were, there um, any, were there any negative reviews at the time? And there's always going to be a few negative reviews. A couple of people weren't really into Gwyneth Paltrow's character, Pepper Potts, or Pepper Plops, as some people like to call her. On uh, Pepper Plots. <laughs> Like, if we're talking about in terms of representation of women, like, they, they think she's like an antique Stark's Girl Friday who loves him, but can't say so. And her big thing is just the big doe eyes. But then she is also, she's a smart woman. Like, she's there on her own merit and she sorts out a lot of, are we allowed to swear on this? She sorts out a lot of stuff <laughs> on it's this. True. It's yeah. true. I think speaking very generally, and we'll go into more details as this podcast progresses, um, I, mean, I liked... Tony Stark, as we said, I think he's a great character. Robert Downey Jr. plays him so well. He's mm -hmm. so much, right from that very first scene in, um, I think they're in Afghanistan or something, and, yeah. um, and he's in the truck and he's conversing with the, the other soldiers. I immediately was like, I like this guy. I don't yeah. care how immoral he might be. I don't care that he's drinking whiskey in a pinstripe suit in the middle of the frigging Middle East. Um, <laughs> I don't care how obnoxious he is, I like him. You know, I, I was. I know that in the comic book, Stan Lee said he he gave himself to Tony Stark as a challenge because he was like, mm. "Can I create a character that everyone will hate but also love?" So he's got all these terrible personality traits, and he also came out, I think, in the fifties, like just around a time where people weren't really into war monk war mongering and just creating weapons and. They're a bit over it by then, yeah. Yeah, so you like he in all meanings of the word he's the sort of person that you think you should hate initially but you just can't help and i think yeah like you say robert downey jr 
is like chef's kiss. He's the ideal man to play that role. And I think, uh, so the, uh, I liked him, but then the biggest thing that I disliked about the film is that all the other characters are not that active and they're not that, they, they don't serve a lot of purpose. And mm. I'll go into more detail as we go through the plot, but, and I think Pepper Potts is exemplary of that in that she's the necessary kind of female sidekick slash love interest. And she's, and Gwyneth Paltrow plays her really well and she gets some really good, like fun lines and fun moments in there. And I love the banter between them, but I kept thinking it, a quick rewrite could have got rid of her easily. And I oh, think no. actually that she needs to have had more significance in the story. We're going back to 2008 here. And this is, this is now a long time ago, which is horrifying for millennials like us. <laughs> because 2008 feels like it was just, it was, yeah, 2008. Last like, year. It's, not, it's 12 years ago. It was not last decade. It was the decade before that mm -hmm. now. But I think there's a, now a stronger demand for more female characters and more active female characters. And I think we see that in various media. So I hope we see that as we go through the MCU universe. Oh, you're going to get such a treat later, Paul. Otherwise, I'm going to get so angry in these later episodes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be raging. Like, women deserve more. And I'll be like, don't worry, Paul, they're coming. The women um, will come. Uh, oh, yeah. And I watched it with my boyfriend, Doug. And he, at the end, so his, he doesn't really like films like this anyway. So his overall comment was, Iron Man, more like Iron Meh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as someone who knows Doug well, I can see that it wouldn't be his kind of thing. It's not really high high art, let's say, but I guess it has it has a place, and I think what it does, it does well. But I think it. I think when we say high art, it's interesting because that brings up this really snobbish argument of what is high art and what is low art. But these films, like Martin Scorsese, was wasn't it Martin Scorsese who? Um, criticised these films and he said that they don't have much sort of um, dramatic imp impetus and um, they are they just have like a good guy and a villain and the, we know that you know that the good guy is going to defeat the villain somehow and I and I was I sort of thought but but this is this is a bit unfair because these films are so culturally significant superheroes are so have been so culturally significant and still are they're sort of timeless things because who doesn't want a hero to just come along and make life so much better for you Exactly. And if you, I mean, that argument, you could apply it to Disney films as well. Like every princess is going to meet her prince. I mean, maybe not so much nowadays of feminism. No, no. She don't need no prince. She can do what she wants. She can go ride a boat and find a new island on her own if she wants to. But, you know, before I then, see. they did all follow a very similar formula. And my boyfriend, Chris, actually, um, he's not a Marvel fan, which I find really weird because in our relationship, I'm the one who's like, superheroes. And he's like, I assumed he was a Marvel fan. Oh no, he is not. Yeah, when, when a superhero movie is coming out, it's me driving us to go see it. And he will always come out like, oh, it's just always the same, such a formula. Like, they have powers. They realize the true power is within them. They defeat. And I, I mean, he's right. But sometimes we need these like positive messages mm. about who we are. And I, I'm, he was particularly negative about some later films in the franchise because he was like, they're very standard Marvel. And you're like, well, that's good because you know what you're going to get when you go in there. Mm, exactly. But can I just say also, I, Doug's review was was quite funny. I'm um, I'm, uh, but I'm looking at IMDb's. I've sorted it by one cell reviews, and the number one on there is Robocop flies to Afghanistan, <laughs> which I thought was 
one to bueno in terms of like that is a very good summary i've and never seen robocop that's not marvel though is it no no it's not you're safe but i do think you should probably watch that sometime maybe i should maybe i should it sounds like a bit of a cultural cornerstone that one yeah let's talk about you this was your first marvel I, introduction you know what already the title of our podcast is a bit of, a bit misleading because i'm no longer a marvel virgin i've had no. my marvel hymen well and truly destroyed and <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 but I'm still inexperienced. That's true. Your first time doesn't make you an expert. I haven't had a long-term relationship to fully explore my marvelality. But let's go into uh, let's go into the um, the plot here. So, it, Tony Stark, who has inherited the defense contractor Stark Industries from his father Howard Stark, is in war-torn Afghanistan with his friend and military liaison, Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes. And I love that name, James Rhodes. I think it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. to demonstrate the new Jericho missile. After the demonstration, the convoy is ambushed and Stark is critically wounded by a missile used by the attackers, one of his company's own. Mm -hmm. He is captured and imprisoned in a cave by a terrorist group called the Ten Rings. My question is, do we find out why they're called the Ten Rings? <laughs> That's a very specific question. It's, um, I, it's really on my mind, this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that you do find out why they're called the Ten Rings, you know. No. I think it's just one of those things. That's just the cool it's, name, right? The ten men who are married and really like being married. I don't know. They, I think they literally just appear in that first film. Oh, okay. Let me double check. But, you know, oh, no, wait, I'm lying. I'm lying. They appear in lots of films. Is there? I might have missed it. I mean, there were some dialogue scenes where I kind of switched off a little bit. Yeah, no, sorry. They do. They appear in many films. <laughs> I lied. I know they're in lots of the comic books. Uh, I don't think they ever really go into the names. I just think that's the that's then that's the name. There's there's ten of them. I think they're each ring shaped. I'm lying. I have no idea why they're called the ten rings. Maybe they just they um uh were born in Middle Earth, took their rings and came over into the MCU. Maybe it's something like that. I'm gonna call them the cock rings, because I guess they're villains and we can call them that. I'm gonna Google it. Not going to Google cock rings. No, well, not oh God. Can you imagine? It refers to the ten rings that the Mandarin was given. You know, that given he gave him his powers in the original comics. Oh, the Mandarin is an enemy of Iron Man, but he's not in this film, is he? No, but he's he's kind I of like just an enemy of the world. Mm. Oh, and it, oh, an enemy of the world. Well, yeah, he's a big enemy. I must address now. Um, both of us. Well. I, I don't mean to speak for you, so please contradict me, but I feel like both of us are liberal snowflakes and we do wish to address various representational issues. We've talked about women. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about race a little bit as best we can. Yeah. Um, and I should point out that the presentation of these 10 rings guys was borderline racist, in my personal opinion. I looked up how long before this film Team America was released and it was only four years beforehand. And Team America had already addressed the fact that any kind of Middle Eastern person in a kind of white-made Hollywood film usually has that shemag scarf and lots and lots of explosives on them. And they come in and in Team America, they're all like, durka, 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 like that. And they're just talking in some kind of made up language that sounds vaguely Arabic. And I really got that from these guys. I was like, you just made these people just evil. And I know it's 2008, I know it's like the, I know it's only, you know, a few years after the war in Iraq and Afghanistan started off and stuff, but I did, I don't know about you, but I felt like they could do better with that. Oh, for sure. I mean, 
that's actually one of the biggest complaints people have watching the movies in retrospect now is that it feels like propaganda it doesn't feel great and i guess also tony stark like he's not captain america so he's not mr usa but he he is very much i feel like captain america is like a very idealized american whereas tony stark probably represents the true american ideal of like self-made man capitalist makes his own money you know has a plane he, he gets captured and he can escape them himself because he's yeah. American, he's cleverer yeah i mean he has that helpful doctor on hand <laughs> yinsen is his name yinsen um hello yeah. captive doctor implants an electromagnetic in, electromagnet into stark's chest to keep the shrapnel shards from wounding him that wounded him from reaching his heart and killing him ten rings leader raza offers Stark freedom in exchange for building a Jericho missile for the group, but he and Yinsen know that Raza will not keep his word. Yinsen, I immediately assumed he was a bad guy in like some, it, who was like manipulating him. And I'll tell you why. He was wearing mm. a suit. He's living in some cave in the Middle East. He's, I assume he's been there a while and he's in this perfect suit. And I was yeah, like, that's he's, delicious. That means he's just got his shit in order. I don't know why you would assume that's a problem. You have your shit in order if you've been captured by ISIS and kept in some cave with like no health care or hygiene or anything. Yeah. What else do you have to do but keep your suit looking nice? That's that's been keeping him going for years. That is true, that is true. Maybe that's just that's the one thing he hangs on to. But yeah, I just I just thought that. It turns out he's not. He's not a bad guy at all. It turns out he's the sacrificial lamb. He's a very nice man, lots of self-sacrifice going on with him, yeah some self-sacrifice now he is the first character where i was like what exactly was the point in your character uh he did the heart thing that's like what gave that's the big thing that makes stark his little true yeah it births the whole iron man situation what and that's like stark's kryptonite is yeah. that it, this thing is keeping shrapnel from destroying his heart so he needs yeah. it uh, okay all right well i'll take it back about yinsen but we're going to discuss that with other characters as we go along all right, fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stark and Yinsen secretly build a small, powerful electric generator called an arc reactor to Ooh. power Stark's electromagnet and a prototype suit of powered armor to aid in their escape. You know what I love? Can I just interrupt? Yeah. Is that, you know, their idea of like, they're like, we've got to build this missile. So what should we do instead? Rather than create weapons to destroy everyone, they're like, let's create a magic suit that we can use just for one of us. They already have assumed that someone will die. Yeah, this was my thought. I got that they needed maybe some armor to protect them against bullets, because presumably bad guys shoot people. Yeah. Um, but that was also my, my thought, um, even after Tony Stark escapes, is he wants to do good in the world, because he's seen how his weaponry does bad things and destroys things and makes and drives people towards doing evil things and corrupt things. Hmm. But his thought is rather than ch just change his business strategy, he makes a suit. <laughs> and I was, and I did kind of think I wouldn't come to that conclusion personally. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be my pathway. Uh, that's a bit, it feels a bit random. It differently though, because you've not had your heart damaged by shrapnel. You've not been living in a cave. All the more reason not to make a suit and put yourself in the line of fire. But if you think about it, Yinsen, big thing about him, nice suit. I mean, if you were like just hanging out with him, maybe he implanted the thought in his brain. Something. Yeah, I, I just imagine um, Stark and Yinsen sitting together and be like, yeah, and this suit, it goes and, and then it shoots me and just like having a jolly old man. And you do this with your hands and you can fly. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the prototype suit though. I really liked how it was um, 
kind of rustic and clunky and he couldn't really walk properly in it and he got his arm stuck in the cable at one point and I like that it was he didn't make it perfectly the first time it was a sort of um yeah prototype suit it felt very like the old Star Wars films where everything was kind of realistic and a bit junky and you can kind of see that they would be able to create that rather than the sleek magical it was, it was like a dalek on legs but one of the old daleks that's yeah. obviously made out of um cereal boxes and <laughs> whatever sheets of corrugated iron that the doctor who makers could get their hands on yeah exactly and you know what actually you've just made me think it is propaganda but it does it does consider the fact that america is feeding these weapons across the world and they do have a role to play in this so maybe maybe we were a bit harsh before i think yeah probably a bit hard a bit harsh on the makers and the characters as well yeah it does deal with that and i guess i guess that was something that was becoming quite pertinent in 2008 when um, people were looking back on the decision to go to war in Afghanistan and Iraq post 9-11 and were thinking actually this was not a good idea and I guess 2008 was the year that um, uh, Bush got the, the Republicans got defeated and Obama came into power in the January next year so I guess that was that was all part of part of the the, the zeitgeist zeitgeist is one of my favorite words Oh, it's one of my least favourite words. We use it all you the hear time. It your work, don't you? <laughs> um, although they keep the suit hidden almost to completion, the Cockrings discover their hostages' intentions and attack the workshop. Yinsen sacrifices himself to divert them while the suit fully charged. I thought I didn't need to sacrifice himself. I think he could have got out. There was no need for all of that. Maybe think about it. He didn't have a way of getting out. He, they didn't make two suits. No, but then if the you know, if they made the suit good enough, it could have protected him. It's true. Know. He could have carried him away, but it didn't look like it was going to... It felt like the writers were like, okay, we're done with this character, let's just kill him. It... Yeah. They fridged him. It was an act of fridging. Have you heard of fridging? Fridging is where you kill... Like, the character is solely there for them to kill. It's normally a woman, to be fair. But you, know, you just have a plot there to give someone else impetus to drive them forward. They're just there to... Their death will drive another character. Right. I see, I see. The armoured Stark battles his way out of the cave to find the dying Yinsen, then burns the Cockring's weapons in anger and flies away, crashing in the desert and destroying the suit. After being rescued by Rhodey Rhodes, James Rhodes, Stark mm -hmm. returns home and announces that his company will cease manufacturing weapons. Round of applause for Tony Stark and his moral... Oh, man, you've learned something from all of this. <laughs> he, has learned something, he has learned something, he has grown. But Obadiah Stane, another great... I love these names. His yeah. father's old partner and company's manager advises Stark that this may ruin Stark Industries and his father's legacy. Do you mean you don't want your father to be known for supplying weapons to people and ruined his legacy? <laughs> you know what? When the moment I saw Obadiah Stane, that's when. So I assumed Yins. It must be something about suits because I assumed Yinsen was a baddie because of his suit. I knew Obadiah Stane was a baddie because of his suit, and I'll tell you why. It's an outdated suit, and they always put. Um, bad guys in these kind of super macho late 80s suits the sort of thing Michael Douglas wore in that film Wall Street where it's like a pinstripe blue with a white collar and then a he wears wearing a yellow tie and like pinstripe grey and it's yeah. all just like colours and things and even more evil he's got a signet ring and a cigar and he looks a bit like Colonel Chicken KFC oh he does look like Colonel Sanders yeah I don't trust anyone who looks like the Colonel really I don't know yeah. He looks, he looks like when there's sort of, you know, in every war film, there's always that bald general who's like, I think we should just nuke him. And he looks like that guy. I guess that's the kind of character he is. He's the, 
the bluff and macho American and yeah. Tony Stark's like, no, I think both sides of the argument and, and that's, yeah, there's, there's more nuance in life, Obadiah. <laughs> Move on. Anyway, uh, in his home workshop, Stark built a sleeker, more powerful version of his improvised armor suit, as well as more powerful arc reactor for it and his chest. Personal assistant, Pepper Plots, Pepper Potts, places the original reactor inside a small glass showcase. This was the one thing that she did contribute importantly to the story is this, that, is that she put his original heart in there so that saves his life later on. I, I know, I love that it's so important as well that it makes it into the official synopsis. Mm. And that's her whole character so far. Um, and though Stain requests details, a suspicious Stark decides to keep his work to himself. My, here's my question, and I don't, I don't, this is purely a fan theory question. Where does he get his materials from? Like, does he go on Amazon and buy lots and lots of, it's not even iron, is it? It's titanium or something. Yeah. I mean, well, he's obviously got materials coming in for his weaponry, right? Mm. And we know he is a billionaire. Yeah, he's a child genius. He's a genius engineer, I guess. I really wanted a scene where he's calling UPS and he's like, you left my package on the side and it wasn't a safe place. Now someone's stolen my package and then someone somewhere has some kind of like laser gun or something or the Iron Man mask. Oh wait, someone has got actually um, an article on how he buys everything, but they've made me focused. You're right. No one's really talked about he just has it. He just has the stuff. And it must be so heavy, and yet he's the only one doing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, they've just focused on like all his champagne and cars and beachside houses, and they've not looked at the fine details of where does he go? It's going to be the dark web. I'm just going to say, if you went on there, you'd probably find Okay, well, I think, I feel like, yeah, if we call the police and find out what Tony Stark's been looking at online... Um, <laughs> There may be a few arrests in the near future. Yeah. <laughs> At a charity event held by Stark Industries, reporter Christine Everhart informed Stark that his company's weapons were recently delivered to the Cockrings and are being used to attack Yinsen's home village, Gulmira, which I don't know if that's a real, I don't think that's a real village because there's no link on Wikipedia to that one. No, it's, I don't think it's I, real. And if it is, it'd be teeny mini. It would be teeny mini, yeah. I love that journalists, I'm sorry, sorry, as a journalist myself, I always love that journalists are there normally to be a bit snarky and also to reveal pertinent information to someone else because they're like, did you even know? I'm so sorry that you didn't know. But they, they've weapons. got like a microphone and a camera and they're like, did you hear about this? And there's a moment where the main character goes, I have to go. And they yeah. run away. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, I did that. I saved those villagers by asking him that question. Every, every, every um, Hollywood, Hollywood blockbuster movie is incomplete without that. Is Christine Everhart the same one that he sleeps with towards the beginning and Pepper Potts basically throws her out? Is that the same character or is that a different uh, I think she might be. She kept like pouting her lips a bit and being like, mm, I'm an evil female journalist with a career and no children and therefore I'm bad. Mm. <laughs> all journalists are bad we know that for a fact <laughs> well yeah well she's she's um she isn't a lot of the comics and she is like a right they do have sex on his desk i can't remember if it's at the beginning of the film you know you've seen it very recently i saw it a while ago there's a scene at the beginning which i thought was really outdated where so he yeah he sleeps with her and then she stays over at his and she wakes up and he's i think he's down in like his basement doing his thing and um, and she's wandering around. She's you know you know how when women wake up after having sex and they're wearing the guy's shirt. That's all we do. She's wearing that, so her legs are out, but she's you know um, suitably covered. And then Pepper Potts comes in, and she's got like her bags, and she yeah. and um, there's uh, her. Then. She, yeah. she kind of confronts Pepper Potts about it, and Pepper Potts is like, "You need to leave now, bitch." 
and um and she goes oh what do you do around here and pepper potts goes i take out the trash like that and i thought that was quite a good punchline. however i am like pepper babe are you slut shaming it feels like she's slut shaming also it's very woman versus woman but there are two female characters and they're at odds with each other and one of them slut shames the one with the career and I, I was also like, Pepper, if you're slut-shaming her, are you going to go slut-shame Tony Stark, who is, we have seen flirts with women all the time and has all sorts of beautiful women around him and probably pays them to be there? He's the true Marvel whore. He is the true Marvel You are not the Marvel <laughs> whore. You, you are a Marvel scholar. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and also they are both blonde. Yeah, yeah. So he clearly has a type. I mean, when if... I always call Pepper Gwyneth because I can't separate them in my brain. Pepper for is his type. We know she's his type. Mm. He likes a blonde. This is the Iron Man film where they have that bit on the plane and everyone suddenly becomes like a stripper, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was random. I thought there was, yeah. He's talking to the stewardess and then suddenly in the next scene they're both absolutely off their face. Him and uh, James James Rhodes are mm. completely off their faces on champagne or something. Yeah, and yeah, that was yeah, that set felt a bit insignificant. I think that was again uh, fulfilling sort of teenage boys' um, fantasy of having this kind of lifestyle. Yeah, well, I mean, I would just I would just say if we're doing the liberal snowflake approach, that's not my favourite representation of a woman. I feel like an ethicist has more important things to be doing than taking her clothes. No, it could be done a lot better. So anyway, yeah, yeah um, he finds out that Yinsen's home village is being attacked. Stark dons his new armor and flies to Afghanistan. Oh, it's an Afghanistani village where he saves the villagers. While flying home, Stark is attacked by two fighter jets. He reveals his secret identity to James Rhodes over the phone in an attempt to end the attack. Uh, meanwhile, the Olympic rings gather the pieces of Stark's prototype suit and meet with Stain, who has been trafficking arms to criminals worldwide. Oh, yes. So it turns out that Stain has been trafficking this stuff to the, 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 the diamond rings. And he is the bad guy. This is where it turns out. So I knew he was the bad guy, but I didn't see that coming. I didn't see the alliance between him and the 10 rings. Oh no, that was, uh, I always thought that was quite like, cause they've been getting the arms from somewhere. Stan's like, how? Oh, I haven't been doing it. So it's like, oh, who could it possibly be? Pepper Potts or the evil guy? I went for the evil guy personally, but if you went for Pepper, well, I thought, I thought the Ten Rings was sort of out of the picture and then they come back into it. I think that was where the twist came. Yeah, I thought that was quite a good little turning point. I thought, I was like, oh, so he's working with them. It's one of those sad moments for Stark, I guess, because this guy was kind of, I guess, a mentor to him after his dad died. Yeah, yeah. They worked together. They butt heads. It would be a, yeah. I feel like nowadays, if this was made nowadays, there'd be more made of the emotional impact of that moment. I think so, yeah. Do they, does, does, do you ever find out more about his father? Uh, he pops up. He pops up. Okay. I, I, got, I got that impression that that was sort of a mythology bit that would crop up because they mentioned him a few times but didn't go into it in that much detail. Papa Stark, yeah. I mean, he doesn't get his own movie, tragically, because he's dead, but he does, he does, yeah, he gets mentioned a fair bit. You've got yeah. more of that to come. Yeah, that's true. I really liked the first uses of the suit. In fact, the action sequences were amazing. In this. Mm. I thought they were so good when he like flies really high up and then the ice stops him from flying too high and he, it's all very sort of Icarus and Daedalus yeah. and he starts falling down um, I got a real sense of height I was sort of clinging to my seat like oh my goodness that's really high <laughs> I feel like that's a little trick they use quite a lot like I'm sure there's been quite a few films where Iron Man flies very high and he will always fly further than he has done before and he will always get caught out by the icy situation and there'll be a 
the little thing in his head going, Stark, I'm afraid you've flung too high. Your systems yeah. are failing. I feel like it's in every film, but I may be wrong. I did enjoy that. And I enjoyed his, I mean, it was very white saviour, but he, he, I liked the scene where he saved the village. I thought it was really quite enthralling. That, mm. and I, You know what? I know it's a bit white saviour that he comes in and saves his village and stuff. But I would, if I was one of those villagers, I'd rely on the white man in the suit. I would do that. Well, well, they don't know he's a white man in the suit as well. That's true. He's just a suit, isn't he? This is something I do like about Tony Stark, is that he's not, um, he doesn't really have a power. He is a sort of genius with the suit. And I think that immediately creates the sense of vulnerability because he can't, he has to, he has to use the suit. He has no other option. Yeah, it's true. That's quite good. And I also liked how in the action sequences, it shows his face close up in the suit. Mm. And I thought that was quite a good touch because it's, it shows how the suit is not him. The suit is separate to him. He just wears it and he's controlling it like he would control a plane. Yeah, and it's true. They do use that technique a lot going forward and you get more of a sense of vulnerability of the softness of, yeah, trauma that he's going through. Like it's, very, it's a very close up. Do you remember like, uh, Anne Hathaway and Les Mis when they're like right on her face as she sings? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like that. So you can see that like, every moment and every glimmer. Every, and every, mean, every bit of snot that goes down her nose. You can yeah. See that, can't you? In high definition. <laughs> I think that's kind of a good thing for Tony as well. Because Robert Downey Jr. does do a lot of acting with just his eyes. He does. He does. Yeah. He's a very good actor. I like him a lot. This must have been his comeback. This was his big comeback. He's always yeah. said, like, thank you so much for taking a chance on me. And that's why he's mm. been so... He's put so much of himself into the Marvel Universe, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, he's saving people. However, the Ten Rings gather the pieces of Stark's prototype suit and meet with Stain, who has been trafficking arms to criminals worldwide and has staged a coup to replace Stark as Stark Industries CEO by hiring the Ten Rings to kill him. Mm, he subdues Raza, uh, has the rest of the group killed. That's where I was kind of like, he's the baddie. Let's move forward now. Um, Stain has a massive new suit reverse engineered from the wreckage. So he mm-hmm. gets his suit made. This was kind of cool. And I so to track his company's illegal shipment, Stark sends pots to hack into its database. I love that Stark sends pots to hack into its database. Go, woman that I have, my one staff member. <laughs> she does work for him. I mean, if you're going to send someone, you would probably send someone you pay. It's true, it's true. And then she discovers that it's uh, Stain because she goes onto the, um, the, com- the computer and she finds various documents, various like evil looking documents that have pictures of m- missiles and things like that on there. But this is where I, I think they could have made her more active is that she could have been the one to find out and then tell Tony Stark, but she doesn't. He finds out in his own way that Obadiah Stain is. You know Jeff Bridges? The other day I saying, go, I'm just reading about him now. He got really into this role. He went okay. full method. So he was like, shaved his head, grew the beard, Googled the book of Abijah, I can't say the name, and learned, like, learned about the Bible chapter it's based on and how it's all about retribution. Oh, really? Apparently okay. loads of his scenes, scenes were cut to focus more on Stark, but he was really into that role. I wouldn't have bothered. I would have just been like a pantomime villain. Person. Well, yeah, but it's Jeff Bridges. He's going to give it his best, yeah. isn't he? And he has a flashy red thing that paralyzes people. Mm. How does that work? Like, where does he get that from? You ask difficult questions for. Um, <laughs> I demand to know the answer. He's a weapons dealer. You know, again, like, I mean, if you're going to start questioning how things work, we're in a lot of trouble because the suit 
technologically shouldn't do all the things it can do you could probably have one that does one realistically like it can fly it can protect you from this or it can mm. fire things but based on today's technology just one so it, it's a plot point basically. it's a plot point yes plot point. yes yeah. you've seen them they do that in star wars they throw things it blinds people it's basically a grenade star wars is one big plot point <laughs> <laughs> all it is Potts meets with Agent Phil Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D., an intelligence agency, to inform him of Stain's activities. What do you think I, of Phil? Ah, I thought you might ask that. I immediately thought, this is significant because S.H.I.E.L.D., and I've heard of S.H.I.E.L.D., and there's a whole seven-season series based uh, called S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, when he first came in, I did get the impression that he was important just because he was sort of lurking behind Pepper Potts at all times, and he just <laughs> being like hello, I want to speak to you. And I'm like, all right, Donald Trump, move off. Okay, like <laughs> you're lurking, you're in a lurker. Mm -hmm. My question about him is, does he get more interesting? Interesting is, you know, it's a personal thing, but he just doesn't really appear. Well, he, in the UN. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he appears in a lot more movies and films and TV shows, and he plays a big role, actually. But I don't want to say how. Like I in just, terms of like events later, he may be a domino that falls. Okay, because like yeah, I just thought this is Shield is is like such an important aspect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I assume. Um, and the one person who's introducing it is just this this little guy called Phil Coulson. You've got Tony Stark, oh. James <laughs> Rhodes, Pepper Potts, Obadiah Stane, Phil Coulson, <laughs> Bob Smith. I, I like also sorry that you think. A sign of importance is someone who lurks behind Pepper Potts. <laughs> it's not important. It was. It just made me uneasy. When he became a good guy, I was like, okay, fine. You're just a bit weird. That's all. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just. I thought he was in every film, and I was gonna say like, oh, he's in every single film, but he's in one, two, three, four, five films. Five films, but he's also in his own TV series. So, and you know what? In the comics, they go off. Of, they go rogue with him a little bit. They make him a supervillain at one point. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess he's a bit like a hobbit in the sense that, you know, in Lord of the Rings, you need this. short. That's really heightest of you. It's not heightest of me. No, uh, because, like, you know, the hobbits are our little, they, they ground us in. They give us a way in. And he feels like a sort of normal person's role in the world of superheroes. True. Well, I look forward to seeing more of him in the future and finding out more about what S.H.I.E.L.D. is. And deciding if you think he's interesting. <laughs> well, maybe he'll have, maybe, maybe he's meant to be like the kind of dull one in order to accentuate the, how interesting everyone else is. Well, you know what? That's a very fair point. Actually, I quite like that. <laughs> okay. So he, he helps Pepper Potts to, what does he help her to do? He helps her to get into a place so that she's at the climax. I feel like that's his role is to get her to the, to the, yeah. and then she presses a button and that helps Stark to kill Obadiah Stane with blue light it's a uh, the arc reactor oh. doesn't it? it it does like a big it, like, i don't know what it is it's not radiation i guess electricity or something and it just uh. whatever it is that powers the arc reactor gives a little surge out and it overpowers everything i think stark is very lucky that 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 surge of power is in a perfect column going up to the sky so that mm. it doesn't actually kill everyone else around it it's very lucky um, no, no radioactivity, nothing like that in there. Maybe, maybe his superpower is luck. Yeah, <laughs> I want that as my super. Okay, I've changed my mind. My superpower is just luck. Um, and yeah, so Tony and Tony Stark uh, wins the day. And then, um, well, 
I guess Pepper Potts does press the button, which unleashes the blue light thing. Giving her a lot of credit there, but I, yeah. Yeah, she but then she's helped along by old Phil Coulson, who, I mean, all he seems to really do in it is just open a door and be mysterious. He does it very well, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he does do it very well. He does do it very well. And then Rhodes. But there was a scene where um, Tony Stark gets, he's, gets, he's in his gar garage with the cars, and he gets into a car, or he gets into the suit, I can't remember, and he's flying off, and Rhodes is with him. And Rhodes says to him something like, you need me to do anything else? And Tony starts like, no, nah, I'm fine, babes, and goes. And I was like, but you haven't done anything in the first place. Uh, no, he's all those fighter jets killing him, remember? But so anyone could, have, any, any soldier could have done that. He could have just contacted the random nameless soldier to do that. He could have done, but he didn't. He contacted his best friend in the world. And then right. later on, Pepper Potts is talking to Phil Coulson, like after everything's happened, like the happy ending. And he says, she says, though he says, says something like, thank you for everything. And I'm like, thank you for what? He said, if they were just, they were there at the climate. They watched and they were, you know, wide eyed as the two suits were fighting each other. But I didn't, I just felt like they didn't serve, all the side characters didn't serve a lot of purpose. You can have Stark and Stain. Oh my God, they're called Stark and Stain. How funny. Yeah. I didn't grasp that. <laughs> you have Stark and Stain fighting and then all the other characters are quite circumstantial. I think I, my, my biggest gripe is probably with Pepper Potts because she's, it, it's, it, it, these are always, always written by men usually at this point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there were female writers later on, but we can address that when we get to that episode. Yeah. He is the one main female character in a group of men and the only other female character she interacts with, it's, it's hostile and antagonistic. And yeah. I just, I really wanted a scene where she's with her other female friends and they're all like, so how's work, Pepper? And she's like, oh, he's just always away. And he's always in his basement doing stuff. And they're like, you might want to check that out. Like, that sounds dodgy. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, I checked his internet history and it does look a bit dodge. And, and it's just like, I love him. like all her, talking about like gossipy everyday life things, you know, but yeah. she it's like, it's, it's just this one woman in this big group of men who has no friends. Well, I think that is also a good spin-off series. We could call it The Love Interest, and it would just be about the love interest of a superhero, but never her interactions with him, always with all her friends. Women, all the female love interests have yeah. their own series. Yeah. I think we're on to something. Hello, Marvel. Hello. <laughs> ring, and we'll just ring Netflix. Don't go like that. You've missed out an important bit, I feel, with um, the bit? press conference and Stark just being like, I am Iron Man. Yes, I really liked that. I yeah. really, really like the yeah yeah yeah. I I think that's so original because every superhero film up to Iron Man has had the superhero desperately trying to hide their identity. Um, you know, the the, the first Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire in is built around that that kind of imperative, isn't it? And then X-Men is all about that. Um, and I so I yeah, I really really liked that he's just like fuck it, I'm Iron Man. Yeah. Who else is going to have the technology to build that suit? It's obviously yeah. me. I think it's a pride thing for him because it's such an amazing piece of tech. You would be like, no, that was legit me. I did that. And then did you, did you sit with it long enough to see the post-credit scene? I'm watching all the post-credit scenes. I have a gripe with post-credit scenes because I'm like, if it's good enough, just put it before the credits. I don't want to sit okay. through these credits, but I'm going to have to now, aren't I? I mean... Also, just to criticise maybe a tiny bit your, your post-credits hatred, I guess if you think about it, these films, there's so many people involved that wouldn't get credit normally, like all the special effects people, all the people behind the scenes, like, and I think that this is a good way to make sure they get their, their, their due. 
I, yeah, good point, because they all contribute important things. I question whether people would actually read it or whether they just sit there chatting in the cinema and then when it all starts up again for that, for the last like 20 seconds. It's more like a mark of respect, because you know my dad, like obviously he's, he's done a bit of a dalliance in the movies and he's always been like saying rogue, like second assistant director, which is miles mm. down. And he always wants you to just sit to the end to just show your respect, I guess like doing the silence in it. It's a good point because you, know, you go through the credits, you really shows how many people are involved in just this two hour movie. Yeah. The huge amount of people and they all, all of them play a part. So yeah, it is. You, you, have, you make a good point. I will not moan about that ever again. Um, before we go into the quiz, I have one thing to share with you. And on the end of the Wikipedia page for Iron Man, there is a link to another Wikipedia page. And it's titled, List of Films Featuring Powered Exoskeletons. Oh, wow. Apparently, this is a genre. Live Science said in 2013 that it was fairly common to see powered exoskeletons in films and that it helped educate the public about potential real-life usage. So we might have our very own Iron Man someday. But some of the films they list include Aliens, because they in Aliens, she's like, get away from her, you bitch, and she's in that great big thing. Oh, yeah, the great big thing. Um, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, Avatar, The Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. Yep. Batman and Robin, Batman vs. Superman, Captain America, Civil War, District 9, Edge of Tomorrow, Elysium, uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolution, Spider-Man Homecoming, um, an absolute classic that I, su- I assume neither of us have see- seen, Starship Troopers 3, Marauder. Did not know there was a third. <laughs> there it is, there's a Starship Troopers 3. Um, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Wolverine, and the very last one on this alphabetical list, and probably the greatest of all these films, The Wrong Trousers. Oh! I, I, I never thought I'd see a Wikipedia page where Wallace and Gromit are listed alongside Iron Man. But you could say they were maybe the inspiration. <laughs> maybe, yeah. You know, I, I, well, they, they, that was made in 93, and I think Iron Man predates that. It does a little bit, yeah, but okay. <laughs> Well, Maybe they were influenced by it, I don't know. But I thought I'd share that because I thought it was very amusing. It really shows that Wikipedia does have a lot of very random stuff on it. That's very true. And you know what I also find interesting? I can't say his last name because, again, I feel like this is just proving that we're big readers and we don't speak ever aloud. Michael Crichton? Jurassic Park? Yeah. yeah. Is that how you say it? It's not Christian, is it? I think it's like... Crichton, yeah. I think I was... so. Wrong. so they worked with his researchers to find a grounded, realistic way to deal with the suit. Oh, okay. He kind of is quite good at finding realistic. Well, it did feel, it, it felt very, um, believable. very much like, very believable. It was yeah. because there was the scenes where he tries it and it doesn't work. And he, his interactions with that little robot thingy that sprays fire extinguisher stuff at him. Oh, and there was, well, so in the final battle and he's fighting with Obadiah and they're going up high, high, high. Um, and his suit runs out of power. Mm-hmm. And I thought that happened quite... Was there a reason? Did something happen that caused that? Or was that just sort of plot, plot pointy thrown in? Because he managed to fly all the way to Afghanistan and back and fight people. Was it not to do with the sky thing? You're saying he's going higher and higher and higher? No, was because it, it, was, it was before before he uh-huh. went higher. Um, the little Alexa voice was saying to him, um, oh, not, like 50% battery or something. He's using the old reactor, right, that he had originally, and it's not as powerful uh, as the new one. So maybe it's just that it can't, that it's the be. retro one that he made in the cave. So, and therefore it's using up power much more quickly. And he's getting, yeah. it's get, he's getting that little iPhone notification that says, 20% battery, do you want to switch to low power? Do you think it's an eco friendly suit with Greta from Burger Proof? 
I doubt it very much. I very much doubt that it's yeah. eco-friendly. Shall we finish with a, a quick fire quiz? Okay, ready? One. What is the name of Tony Stark's AI system? And a bonus point if you can tell me what it stands for. <sighs> okay, so it's it's not Alexa. I kept calling it Alexa. It's Jarvis, isn't yeah. it? Jarvis. I have no idea what it stands for. Uh, ju just a random visionary intelligent system. Oh, you know what? You were very close. It's you just a rather very intelligent system. Just a rather very intelligent <laughs> Because Tony Stark... I don't think that was explained in the film. I can't remember that being explained in the film. I would have I would have remembered that. That's very funny. Yeah, and it's voiced by... Um, did you know it's voiced by Paul Bettany? Paul Bettany, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a bit underused. I thought he could have been used a bit better in it. Well, you know what? In the comics, Jarvis is actually a human being, Butler, really... who looks after... Tony Stark when his parents died, but I guess that's very much like Alfred and Batman. So maybe they made a conscious decision to be like, you know what? No, we're not doing another Butler yeah. dad situation. Because if, if Michael Caine's not playing it, then there's no point having it in the film. There's literally no point, is there? So, yeah. uh, number two, you can guess mm -hmm. how much weight can the Iron Man suit lift? Ooh, ooh. a thousand million tons. I don't know. You went way too high there. So it's going to oh. sound much less impressive when I say, a hundred tons. hundred <laughs> tons. Yeah, that's oh. 90,718 kilograms. Okay. This is just see paying attention, I guess. But what distinguishing facial feature is Iron Man missing from his helmet? A nose. It's right, it's his nose. It's a nose, yeah. No nose. Um, but, fun fact again, is it fun? Probably not for you, but for me it is. Um, in, like Stan Lee like, had this moment in the 70s where he was like, why doesn't Iron Man have a nose? And he insisted they draw it back on. And it looked really weird. There were a few uh, like, moments where Iron Man had a nose and then he was like... Noses are weird things. And they yeah. immediately make our faces really clumpy. So I guess if you take it away, it's just a sort of sleek visor-like look, isn't it? For guessing again, how much do you think it would cost to be Iron Man? Oh my God, like a billion dollars? A lot, actually. Yeah, $10 billion. So Mashable, which is a website, um, calculated everything that he owns from like his suits, his house, his cars, and they reckon $10 billion. So if right. you've got it, go for it. You can be Iron Man. So Jeff Bezos, he, he could do that quite easily, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, if he wants to. He could also use that money for good. <laughs> hey, Jeff, are you going to use your money for good, not for evil? Mm. I think no. no. I'm going to go hard evil. <laughs> I guess maybe he's more soft evil, to be fair to him. Mm. Um, okay, based on this one film, where do you think the next 20-odd films are going to go? Well, Nick Fury, I looked mm -hmm. up the name. Yeah. Um, he mentions the Avenger Initiative, which I guess is like a conglomeration of superheroes. Yeah, I like that word, conglomeration. Um, conglomeration, yeah. And I guess the next films are going to introduce the other superheroes and then they all come together in the Avengers films. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I was, yeah. And I guess you want more from Pepper as well, but that's more of a I hope. want more from Pepper, yeah. I need more, I need more Pepper. I, I, I like Pepper in food and both in uh, storytelling. So. Yeah, Pepper adds everything to mm. everything. Um, what, the, don't look, but what percentage do you think this film has scored on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I'm going to assume it's quite high. I'm going to go with like 89%. You are incorrect. Oh. It's 94%. 94. Mm. Do you agree with that rating? I wouldn't, know. I mean, I'd give it, if I was giving it marks out of 10, I'd give it a good solid five. It's passable entertainment, but it's nothing original. 
Oh, you're going to anger the Marvel fans so early on in the podcast. I know, I know. If you want to tweet at us your opinions, please do. But please don't make it hate mail. Yeah. I'm very delicate. Paul doesn't need that in his life. He's a nice guy. That's the Marvel virgin. <laughs> um, who do you think the next superhero to turn up will be and why? Um, I think it'll be the Hulk because that's the name of the next film. Oh, you've been cheating, man. I was hoping to catch I made you. a list. I had to look at how many films there were. <laughs> well, okay, fine. Who do you think will interact with Tony next? Which superhero? Yeah. Ooh. I think... I'm going to give you the answer. It will just be one of those fun things. I think... I think the Hulk. I'm going to go with the Hulk because reasons. I'm going to just pick one at random. Yeah, fine. I like that. Your <laughs> I have no freaking clue. Your why is reasons. <laughs> reasons. Um, what's Tony Stark's favourite band? Uh, Atomic Kitten. I don't know. I'd love it if it was Atomic Kitten. That'd be Imagine. such a rogue choice. <laughs> it's um, ACDC. He was playing. Oh. It was very ACDC in the musical score, which I quite liked. Except yeah, well, actually, you know what? So critics like the film, but they didn't really respond well to the soundtrack, which is weird. Well, because it's not all like grandiose trumpets and stuff. It's all yeah. it's more like rock music. Electric guitars and a bit of... It's a bit, more, it's a bit more irreverent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a bit more... Suits him as a character. I think so, definitely. Yeah, and are you... Um, did you spot Stanley's cameo? I did. He mistakes him, Tony Stark mistakes him for Hugh Hefner at a charity event. He did indeed. Yeah, and he's actually said that that was his favourite cameo being in a Marvel movie. Because <laughs> he got mistaken for Hugh Hefner. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say why, but he loved it. <laughs> and then I guess the last one is, are you excited for your Marvel journey? I am excited because I'm assuming that not all of them are the same formula as this. I get the impression that it starts, they start to play around with the structure and things. It, I felt like Iron Man was a, the, the start of something and therefore they had to make it relatively basic in order to get people into it and then start to veer off. The thing is, because you're quite early on in the journey, like this is going to be a lot of origin stories for you. True. So they do tend to follow a sort of like, <gasps> I don't have power, I have power, I've lost the power, I've defeated the bad guy formula. I think I'm glad that it's not one of those things where the first one is the best one and all the others are really bad. Well, I I it seems like something that kind of fluctuates in terms of quality. And sometimes yeah. there are good ones, sometimes there are bad ones. And I think that's what makes it exciting is that whenever I go into the film, I don't know if I'm actually going to enjoy this one or not. I could absolutely love it. I could hate it or I could be somewhere in between. Cool. Well, that comes to the end of our very, very first podcast episode. Um, next time we're going to, it's it is it just called the hulk or is it the incredible hulk or the incredible hulk uh, i hope you enjoyed the show and i hope you all listen in next time bye you've been listening to an episode of the marvel virgin if you'd like to join in the conversation, you can tweet us at The Marvel Virgin. We hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll tune in to the next fact-filled episode. <laughs>